Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton. This podcast will seek to define and explain this important question from multiple points of view. We will interview owners, breeders, caregivers, defenders, advocates, champions, and educators. The mission of my podcast is to seek and foster collaborative conversations where every point of view feels heard, acknowledged, and appreciated. I look forward to you joining me on this journey toward a better understanding of each other. It is possible to have an impossible conversation. It starts with listening for common ground first. I am so glad you're here listening in with me. Now let's see what my next guest has to say. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, host of Why Do Pets Matter? Today, we are here with Henry Yamplosky. I'm hoping I'm saying that correctly. Henry is an attorney and the assistant director for educational outreach and conflict resolution at the Office of Equity and Accessibility at Virginia Tech. I'm so grateful for you being here, Henry, and we're gonna have a great talk today on Why Do Pets Matter? Absolutely, Deborah. It's such a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm, gl I'm glad we are in the middle of something very unprecedented in our life. We're in the pandemic time, and although these podcasts are supposed to be evergreen, I think it would be remiss of us if we didn't realize that now these podcasts are being recorded at a difficult time for all of us. So as we are uh, navigating this new normal, um, tell us, Henry, why do pets matter to you? I think especially in light of where we are right now, uh, pets are a reminder that we're all sentient beings, that pets are us. The current times, which are very challenging, um, which are unprecedented, really call for us to expand our definition of ourselves. If we can see other people, if we can see pets as us, then the way we deal with each other the way we deal with other beings would be fundamentally different. And other than the viruses, we are the only beings on the planet who are actually destroying our own environment. So in that sense, the virus that is, that is happening right now, this, this pandemic uh, that is impacting the world, is a reminder in many ways of how we are and that we, uh, will not be able to sustain, will not be able to exist if we continue destroying uh, and impacting in such a negative way the very planet, the very environment where we live in. So this time also, this challenging times, as I said, also presents a tremendous invitation for us to expand our definition of who we are, that we are not just this body, this mind, uh, all of these things that we accumulate. Um, but that we are also uh, other people, pets, say all sentient beings, the entire humanity, the entire universe. And then if we, if we can try to see ourselves in that way, um, the way we relate to each other, the way we relate to other beings, in my view, fundamentally changes. Well, it's so interesting you said that because quite frankly now, as we're all staying home, we are out taking walks by ourselves six feet apart. We are taking time to breathe, time to be with family um, that are in the house with us, uh, time to be with our pets, and recognizing their um, inherent values in a much greater degree, I think, 
how do you how do you feel i mean being the director um for equity and accessibility i think being home and recognizing equity and accessibility is key as well yes yes well see this is the first crisis um, that is very individual and is also very global and so and this is a crisis at the time when uh, we are quite separated by tribes and identity um, this is a crisis that really calls for us to question some of our identities and perhaps to see them not only as things that define us but also as something that confines, confines us. Right now, for us to really thrive and survive um, through this crisis, we need to step beyond our identities. We need to connect with people and with other sentient beings in different ways. And this is the time when such a connection, despite of whatever differences we may perceive, again, between whether, whether with ourselves or whether with other sentient beings uh, become less and less relevant uh, because we simply just need that connection. It's so true. So you and I, Henry, do a lot of peacemaking and transforming of conflict. And when you said that this, this connection is so important, tell us a little bit more about why you feel, and I do too, that transforming disagreements not just in times of pandemic, but in regular times, works to really serve all people. Because ultimately, all of us, all beings, we have a need for connection. We have a need for expansion. We have a need for meaning in our lives. And at these times where, again, uh, this, the circumstances are forcing us to isolate, is a great opportunity to appreciate how important these connections are. And, and see, Deborah, I, unlike so many people, I don't necessarily view conflict as something negative. I view conflict as an opportunity, as an opportunity for understanding, as an opportunity for innovation, as an opportunity for expansion. Now, we can engage in conflict in ways that are very destructive, or we can learn how to engage in conflict more constructively. And ultimately, then that conflict can be, become a very positive force. It can become a very positive force for good. Uh, it can become an opportunity for us to learn, to engage with other people in a way that we did not before. I so agree with you because I think um, a life without um, conflict or without disagreement or without varying points of view would be incredibly boring. We would all be just, you know, doing the same thing, thinking the same way. In fact, a lot of people, as you said, in tribes and in groups, do tend to um, adhere or, or join forces when they all agree with each other. And for me, and I'm sure for you, having people of differing outlooks on some issue come together and find their common ground and then expand their common ground by understanding their differences makes such a huge, huge difference. And in my neck of the woods for the animals, because if people would stop fighting with each other and egotistically trying to be right, the animals would not suffer so much. Well, all beings would not suffer so much. I think uh, for me, I, I see really the purpose of mediation as expansion. And what I mean by expansion is moving from our positions 
uh, and to, to the exploration of interest. Now, for a long time, interest-based negotiation and interest-based conflict resolution uh, was be-all and end-all. And, and I tend to disagree with that. I think that's, we're, that's still just the beginning. Often when I teach conflict resolution to students, mediation to students, I think in terms of an iceberg. And at the very tip of the iceberg are our positions. The next step on the iceberg, still well above the water, are interests. As we start to get to water level, we get to emotions. And once we get to that, we start getting under the water to really, to really, to, to, to really the majority of the iceberg. And that's starting to get to our values and finally to our needs. So all of our positions are going to be very different. And, and we're not going to get very far if we are simply talking based on positional statements. Because basically what happens with positional statements, we keep restating our positions and then restating them with attitude. And that's what- You can say it louder. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and, and that's unfortunately what happens in a lot of business arguments. It lets a lot what happens in many courtrooms uh, that positions may be very sophisticated and we can restate them in very sophisticated ways that doesn't change that we're not going beyond the most superficial level. When we get to interest, we're a little bit going a little bit deeper, but it's still quite superficial. Our interests don't very often tell us that much, and many of us cannot even express our interests, or many of our interests are very short-term. Term. They're based in fear, they're based in aggression, they're, they're based in avoidance. It's only when we start really hearing and listening to emotion, it's only when we start really tuning in to values, the values that we share, and only when we get to needs, which regardless of who we are, which regardless of our political views, which regardless of where we live, which regardless of where we come from, our needs are identical. And I see our needs as fundamentally being one, the need for security, again, expressed in many, many different levels. The need for autonomy, the need for authenticity, the need for connection, the need for beauty, the need for meaning, and the need for expansion. Again, each of these needs have many dimensions, but fundamentally, in my experience, each and every one of us, for each and every one of us, these needs are the same. And if we can have a conversation on the level of needs, the nature of the conversation changes. Then our different positions, then our different values, then our different interests become strategies to meet those needs. But if we can come to the point where we understand that our needs are fundamentally identical, then the nature of our conversation changes. You know, it's so true um, because when I'm having a conversation much more focused with people who are arguing, say in divorce over an animal or because a veterinarian harmed an animal, mm -hmm. the needs are that, that everyone was trying to either help the animal in the veterinary world, that was their need to help the animal, um, and divorce is the need of keeping that animal in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so to be able to get to that point past interests, which is sometimes difficult in divorce or in malpractice issues, to really listen um, to the needs of the person and not 
I think you would agree, not take it personally. If their needs are, are different than yours or expressed differently than yours, don't take it personally. And you might be able to move forward in what I loved when you said, you know, the expansion. You said it a few times now. I think that in our practices, if we can help our clients or our students in your, in your neck of the woods, um, mm-hmm. expand to um, be able to listen more thoughtfully to someone else, that creates the, um, I guess, environment to have um, a conversation that might end well. Yes. And Deborah, if I may just jump in just to, to, to comment on two things that you said. So to use the examples that you use, you know, um, a, a, a pet divorce, um, where the needs are actually not different. The need for connection with this pet and what this pet represents is the same. It's just that the strategy to meet that need may be different. It's just that that need may come with a lot of fear. But the need is actually identical. The need is for connection. The need is to connect with this sentient being that has been part of the family in one way or another and in many ways represents the family. And then something else that I, that I just want to know, uh, make, it, make a note of, you talked about listening thoughtfully. And I actually advocate listening thoughtlessly. Because, you know, when we are lost in thought. Uh, we're actually not listening. Uh, our mind, as, as one of my, uh, my teachers, Indian mystic Sadhguru, often says, our mind is a wonderful scalpel. Uh, but it doesn't work so well if we're trying to sew. And listening is an activity of sewing, of sewing a connection with another being. So actually, I invite people to not listen thoughtfully, but thoughtlessly. I love that. That's so important because your biases, if you can just leave your bias at the door, just listen thoughtlessly, which I have never heard before and absolutely love, because you're absolutely right. When I'm listening thoughtfully, I'm, I'm looking through my own lens. Well, right. And, and, and look, I, I don't think it's realistic to ask people to leave, oh, right. to leave themselves at the door. But I think what we can ask for, of people is at least to become aware of what they're thinking. Yep. You know, kind of like being in a the movie theater. Uh, if we become aware that we are in the movie theater, uh, we can be very engaged and very much moved by the action on the screen. But we also have an innate awareness that this is just light and shadow playing and we can have popcorn and, we, and we're going to go home. So when we are lost in our thoughts and we confuse our thoughts as us, that's when we get in trouble. That's when we get in trouble. And that's when it really becomes impossible for us to listen because we're just projecting our own story, even, 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 if we, if, even if we're acting like we're listening. But if we can observe our thoughts, noticing them, uh, without getting engaged with them, you know, you, you work a lot with, with dogs. Um, so sometimes uh, if we play fetch uh, with a dog, we don't, we don't have to be the dog and we don't always have to, fa- we don't always have to chase the thought we can just let it pass. You know, unlike some dogs who chase every squirrel, we can choose to act differently. And that's the distinction between being a good listener and not, in my experience, where we can have enough awareness to not 
just come with an with an empty slate because I don't think that's realistic. Not to let go of all of our thoughts, I don't think that's realistic as well. But to be able, instead of chasing every one of our thoughts um, and letting each of our thoughts rule, we we have awareness to observe them. And then, while observing our thoughts, we can really hold space for another being, while being completely engaged in listening to them. So, Henry. That was the nicest and kindest way to point out how people, normal people, everyday people, um, can, and all my listeners on Why Do Pets Matter, can take a moment to recognize they bring something to the table when a conversation is occurring, mm-hmm. and to recognize that. And when they recognize it, know... I mean, I do it all the time. I catch myself, and I'm sure you do too, because we're human, and so we fall into that trap. We're trained, so maybe we can catch it a little faster, but I don't know about you, but I constantly have the voice in my head saying, are you crazy? Are you going there again? Didn't you realize this was you know, <laughs> part, of, part of what the argument with your husband was last time? Because <laughs> um, we bring that to any conversation. So where pets matter, um, and you're having a disagreement with someone over a pet, be it someone who has an emotional support animal and you know, you're allergic to animals, or if they have a service animal and it's one of the unidentified animals, you know, having that conversation and recognizing what you're bringing to the table on both sides. You know, sometimes uh, my friend Gary Norman and I have a program where we help the um, accommodated accommodate the accommodator. So let's say that's three times fast. Uh, but really recognizing what you're asking someone to do for you so that you can live a better life, not giving up that right under ADA that you've received, but rather embracing the fact that someone is working with you, for you, um, in tandem with you. It's really important. Uh, that's the kind of thing I think that what you just discussed Um, about being thoughtlessly listening is to really understand somebody else's point of view Um, and maybe not understand that might be too strong a word uh, but feel it feel what they're feeling the emotions see something i think you're touching deborah on something very very critical and very very critical especially at these times and that is compassion and i define compassion as an innate knowledge that we can never be in another person's or in another being's shoes, but that we are connected by virtue of being beings and that we have experience of pain by virtue of being human or by virtue of being a being. And so connecting through people through that pain, because we truly can never be in another person's shoes. And I think for us to think that we can, or for us to think that we can understand where someone is coming from, can be quite arrogant because we don't. We don't know that person's history. We don't know where that person or being has been. So to me, the beginning of compassion is to understand that we can never be in another person's shoes, that we can never truly understand how someone is feeling, but that we know their experience of pain because we as humans have experienced that pain. And there is a pain, an inherent pain of being human. And no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter what our experiences have been, each and every one of us in our life has experienced pain. And we can connect with that common experience with another being. 
And and as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, because before we got on the recording, you said you had dogs before and right now in your life, um, not the right time, which I applaud because some people um, don't recognize that sometimes it's not a good time to have a pet. Um, so I applaud that. Um, however, it it really is about understanding, as you said, um, that we all have pain in our lives. We may experience it or internalize it or, you know, um, get over it um, in certain ways. Uh, but to mm -hmm. recognize that that's not the way Henry's going to do it, faced with the same issue, and that's not the way Deborah's going to do it, faced with the same issue. Exactly. Because we bring our life experience to the to the problem. I mean, I know when I lose dogs, because of course dogs never live long enough for any of us, um, I tend to really be very stoic. Uh, that doesn't mean that someone who isn't stoic uh, is, is wrong. It's just the way I internalize that pain and no one should extrapolate from that that I'm not completely crushed. Exactly, exactly. We all experience pain and pleasure and different all, all the different human experiences we all experience in a different way and even now you know in these difficult times where many people are quite anxious um again that anxiety is expressed for people in different ways and as compassionate beings i think it's important for us to see and understand that we can never truly know the experience that being is having so if we're talking about our relationship to dogs or to other animals we can never truly know what that being is going through because that's not our experience. But yet by being a being, you know, and seeing them as a fellow sentient being, as a piece of life, just as we are, we can connect and appreciate their experience, even knowing that we can never truly understand or experience what they are experiencing. It's interesting you say that because there are so many people who feel that if you treat a dog in a way I find um, abhorrent, uh, that you should never have an animal again. And what's interesting about that is that pets are so forgiving. They will forgive you for all the things you might have done because it's what they know. It isn't good, but it's what they know. And I'm, I'm not condoning animal abuse or anything like that. Please write me emails, everyone, to tell me that condoning animal abuse, but it would be so much more, especially in this conversation between you and I, Henry, it might be so much more um, illustrative and educational if we did a little more restorative uh, justice with people who are convicted of animal abuse than just straight, you know, punitive punishment, so that they would understand the impact their actions had on the community. And instead of banishing them and sending them out, having them recognize what their conduct did to the community so they can make amends and by virtue of experiencing that situation, educate others who might think that's okay. Um, so you know what, I'm, I, I might be being a little obtuse, but I, I'm always thoughtful about Michael Vick and how he was banished and punished and, and no one ever thought he had the right punishment or enough punishment and he probably should have been flogged a million times. But I thought that maybe had he been required for 20 years to go out and speak to communities such as the one he grew up in, where this was not um, something to be abhorrent, wouldn't that have been more impactful? What are your thoughts? Well, so it's, it's, it's a known fact that people who abuse others, whether, whether it's animals or whether it's um, people, 
um, have often been abused themselves. They are often people who are, not often, most of the time they're pe people who are carrying deep wounds and, and, and very, very deep pain within them. So we can punish them all we want unless we're dealing with the underlying issue with that underlying pain uh, by deeply listening to them, by seeing them as human, by seeing them as beings, um, by exploring with them uh, how, how they see themselves. Because ultimately, all violence is self-violence. Ultimately, all violence is self-violence. It's just that we, um, most of us, have very limited, very limited perception in that we don't see other beings as ourselves. We see them as somehow separate or different from us. But if we don't do that, if we actually see all sentient beings, uh, this entire planet, as us, and truly all violence is self-violence. So uh, we need to approach that type of violence, not, not by committing more violence, you know, against the person who's committed the violence, but by really listening to them, by engaging with them in a very deep way, by uh, raising their vibrations, by giving them experiences of, of deep compassion, deep love, that's, that's what, what would change or reform them, not you know, putting them in jail and, and, and then throwing away the key or um, imposing whatever punishment uh, different jurisdictions or different societies choose to impose. More of what they've experienced before. So ostracization and right. separatist, separatization or whatever that word might be, but really casting them out. And all of us as humans, and seeing beings love community. We started there. We're, we're all a community and we have to really recognize working together to save ourselves, the environment, the earth, um, really is key to living a better life. And as we're coming to the end of, of this podcast, which has been so fascinating and I can't wait to have you back Henry because I want to explore the iceberg a little bit more. I've done um, the V of conflict with the Center for Understanding and Jack Himmelstein who I'm sure you know. Um, so he does the same sort of idea where there's so much more underneath um, than there is above. What we see in conflict is usually such that the, I always say the powdered sugar on top of the cake and the cake is really dense. <laughs> <laughs> and you put a lot of that cake before you get to the powdered sugar. Um, so I, I love that analogy. So I'd love to have you back so we can talk about that. Um, Why Do Pets Matter is all about having conversations that help people live more valuable lives with their fellow seeant beings, dogs, cats, birds, horses, fish, um, because... Uh, Kathy Hessler out at uh, Lewis and Clark is now finding that fish are incredibly seeing beings, not dolphins mm -hmm. and whales, you already knew that, they're mammals, um, but fish. Uh, so I'm hoping to have her on as well um, on Why Do Pets Matter. There's been so much rich information that you've given us, Henry. I think that um, if, if I try to go back and find three, it'll be almost impossible. Uh, but I did love uh, the listening thoughtlessly, not thoughtlessly as in I don't care, <laughs> but rather thoughtlessly knowing your bias that you're taking to the conversation. If you, if you would agree, that would probably be how to think thoughtlessly. Well, thoughtlessly, it means thinking with awareness that, that, that we yep. don't run away with our thoughts, but that we are able to observe our thoughts 
and then observe without evaluating. You know, listening is, is, is ultimately an act of observing without evaluating, which one of Indian mystics, Jada Krishnamurti, has described as one of the highest forms of intelligence. Because just about everything we say and we think is a judgment, evaluation, or a conclusion, you know? And if we can get away with that, let go of, and, and, and this is especially relevant at these times, you know, let go of our conclusions right now. We actually don't know. We actually don't know. And sitting and staying with this uncertainty is the invitation that these times give us. Uh, we don't know. So if, if there was one takeaway that, 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 that I hope your listeners could take from this is that we don't know. We don't know the experience of our path friends. We don't know the experience of other people. And when we assume that we do, we're actually becoming quite arrogant. So if we just sit with the unknown, and right now, you know, the situation is giving us great opportunity to do that, that in itself becomes very transformational. Sitting with the unknown without trying to fix it, without trying to solve it, without trying to project our own insecurity on it. That's the invitation that these times bring. Henry, you've said it perfectly, so I'm not even going to attempt um, to to say anything else because that is, without a doubt, given the times we're in and given the animals we live with um, and how they experience life, how we experience them in our lives, how we experience them experiencing life, um, is such a this is this has been such an eye-opening and wonderful conversation um, with you. Uh, I want to remind our listeners that Henry Ampolsky works for Virginia Tech. He is the Assistant Director for Educational Outreach and Conflict Resolution at the Office of Equity and Accessibility. We're going to have him back because so much more for us as pet owners, pet lovers, you know, pet champions and advocates, as the lead-in says, could learn to facilitate a conversation and a discussion in a, in a way that really has us focus on what's best for all seeing beings, not just our opinion. If, if Henry, would that be fair? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. I am so grateful you took the time out during this time of uncertainty, um, because it certainly is, um, to help transform me and hopefully my audience. And please come back. I know you've been very busy transferring everything onto, um, I guess, the platforms of the world as opposed to in class. But I greatly appreciate it. Sure, sure. It's been such a pleasure, Deborah, and you're doing amazing work. Uh, I, I, I've been following you. I, of course, I, at some point, I hope you can be a guest on my podcast as well. And you know, let's let's stay in touch. Now, this can, these connections that we make so nurturing and important. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Henry. And you've been listening to Why Do Pets Matter. This is Deborah Hamilton, and we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton. Do you have a great idea or guest or topic that you'd like me to cover? Write me at hamiltonlawandmediation.com or email me at whydopetsmatterpodcast at gmail.com. 
Until next week, our pets do matter. Thank you for being here with me.